0: This is Dr. Edward Gaber. This podcast is entitled Neurology, Part 1, Stroke. It is important to know the symptoms of a stroke. If a patient waits to see if their symptoms will improve or go to bed hoping they'll wake up better, they may be depriving themselves of an intravenous treatment that might reverse or improve their symptoms and prevent permanent disability lasting a lifetime. Know the symptoms of a stroke and get to the emergency room fast. Sudden confusion or the inability to speak. Numbness, especially on one side of the body. Trouble seeing out of one or both eyes. Trouble walking. Dizziness or loss of balance. Severe headache without a cause. Facial drooping. Arm or leg weakness. Slurred speech. 15% of strokes are hemorrhagic from a subarachnoid hemorrhage, SAH, with bleeding in the subarachnoid space, or an ICH, intracerebral hemorrhage, with bleeding in the brain itself. Intracerebral hemorrhage is more common with hypertension, amyloidosis, AVMs of the brain, brain tumor, or brain infection. Hemorrhage may mask the brain tumor, so a repeat CAT scan in six weeks is important. 85% of strokes are ischemic, from a clot that develops in the arteries of the brain, a clot's coming from the heart itself, or through a hole in the heart between the right and left atrium of the heart, a PFO, or patent foramen ovale, Ischemic strokes can be tiny or lacuna, which means a little lake. The emboli through a PFO can occur after straining a stool, or episodes of severe coughing. Other reasons for a stroke can be from increased coagulation of the blood, syphilis, cocaine or amphetamine use, complicated migraine, endocarditis with infection of heart valves, dissection of arteries, or vasculitis. Patients with hypertension, prosthetic heart valves, atrial fibrillation, diabetes, carotid disease, smoking, cholesterol problems, obesity, people who drink any alcohol at all, and people over 65 are more likely to get a stroke. Depending on which arteries of the brain are involved, Patients can have facial weakness, extremity weakness, aphasia with trouble getting the right word out, dysarthria with trouble saying the word because of mouth or tongue weakness, neglect, not recognizing one side of the body, visual field loss to the right or left in both eyes, eye deviation to one side, nystagmus with the eyes jumping back and forth, numbness, altered mental status or personality change or somnolence, headache, dizziness, balance problems or postural instability, trouble swallowing, trouble controlling an arm and leg, they may have trouble with alternating movements, turning the hand quickly, palm up then down. This is called dystiadocokinesis. They, they may have pass pointing, not being able to touch the tip of the nose with the tip of the finger with their eyes closed. This is called dysmetria. When there is an altered level of consciousness, focal signs on physical exam may be difficult to determine. Cerebral aneurysms are commonly asymptomatic prior to rupture, but about 50% of patients may have warning headaches, or sentinel headaches, 24 hours to 3 weeks prior to rupture. They can be unilateral. After rupture, with a subarachnoid hemorrhage, a worst ever sudden thunderclap headache occurs, usually without focal deficits, but with stiff neck and vomiting, but 25% have seizures, and 25% have coma. Rupture of the anterior cerebral artery can cause homonymous or bitemporal hemianopsia, or visual disturbance in one eye only. Aneurysm rupture at the internal carotid posterior communicating artery juncture can cause a fixed and dilated pupil, ptosis, double vision, with outward deviation of the eye. Aneurysm aneurysm rupture, however, in the intracerebral cortex may produce focal deficits, including hemiparesis, hemisensory loss, visual disturbances, aphasia, and seizures. 2-5% to of the population actually may have local dilatations of the wall of the cerebral artery. Of those that rupture, 40% are anterior cerebral, 30% internal carotid, 20% middle cerebral, and 20% vertebral basilar system. Berry aneurysm at the Circle of Willis are congenital and run in families and are more common in patients with polycystic kidney disease, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, and Marfan syndrome, and in coarctation of the order in patients with cerebral AVMs. In patients with ischemic strokes, if the anterior cerebral artery is involved, there can be hemiplegia with the leg worse than the arm, confusion, urinary incontinence, primitive reflexes, and absence of willpower or ebullia. If the middle cerebral artery is involved, hemiplegia with weakness in the arm and face greater than that of the leg may occur. Unilateral numbness may be seen. If the dominant hemisphere is involved, aphasia may be present. With lacunar strokes, pure hemiplegia and hemianesthesia, dysarthria, dysphagia, ataxia, or hemiparesis with clumsy hand or clumsy leg syndrome may be seen. Aphasia, neglect, gaze deviation, and visual field loss are never seen with lacunar strokes. Alternatively, altered mental status can be from hepatic, or mental, well, metabolic encephalopathy with sepsis or serious illness, especially diabetes, heart failure, and kidney failure. And weakness and numbness can come from spinal cord lesions with spinal stenosis at any level with hyperactive reflexes and ankle clonus or numbness and profound paralysis below the level a disc suddenly blew out in the spinal cord. Cauda equina syndrome causes low back pain, urinary retention, constipation, perineal numbness and weakness in one or both legs, hypertensive encephalopathy, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, multiple sclerosis, myasthenia gravis, Guillain-Barre syndrome, peripheral neuropathy, polio, myopathies, syncope, hyper or hypoglycemia, toxic encephalopathy, with drug toxicity, or drug overdose, or alcohol toxicity, seizure disorder with trods paralysis, brain tumor, concussion or head trauma with subdural hematoma, can all mimic stroke or ultimate status from a stroke. With fever, meningitis or encephalitis, With a virus especially, herpes must be considered. The exact time of a stroke occurring is very important to determine, as the window to give the clot-busting TPA IV is 4.5 hours and for mechanical thrombectomy is 24 hours. Thrombectomy without TPA was found to be just as good. Brain hemorrhage must be determined rapidly as it can save the patient's life. The lumbar puncture should be done if hemorrhage is suspect even if the CAT scan does not show it. Red blood cells in the spinal fluid can come from a cerebral hemorrhage or a traumatic tap. Xanthochromia, which is the slightly orange tint to the spinal fluid, takes several hours to develop after the brain hemorrhage, but may be reliably noted in the spinal fluid at 12 hours and may persist up to two weeks. The National Institute of Health Stroke Scale, NIHSS, measures the severity of a stroke and tells us if it is progressing. The 11 items determine facial, muscle weakness, extremity weakness, and abnormal speech. Assessing the patient's ability to swallow is also very important in the initial evaluation of a stroke. For patients not treated with TPA, most physicians will only treat the blood pressure if the systolic pressure is greater than 220 or diastolic greater than 120 or will lower the blood pressure by 15%. But more if the patient has heart failure, chest pain, aortic dissection, hypertensive encephalopathy, eclampsia, or if TPA is planned. For transient ischemic attacks, we treat the blood pressure without delay. For patients about to get TPA, we need the blood pressure less than 185 over 110. After TPA, 180 over 105 is suggested. 24 to 48 hours after stroke, unless the patient is neurologically unstable, systolic blood pressure should be maintained no lower than 160 over, over 80 or 180 over 80, and then slightly lowered over the next 7 to 10 days. Blood pressures are lowered much more after a subarachnoid hemorrhage, with the goal being 140 to 160 systolic. Also, the literature suggests we may lower the blood pressure more quickly, quickly with a lacunar stroke. We don't use beta blockers as monotherapy to lower blood pressure after a stroke. Aspirin is given by mouth or rectally if the patient can't swallow for non-hemorrhagic strokes. If there's no brain hemorrhage, Luvinox, or heparin is given to prevent DVT. Maximum doses of statins are very helpful to reduce the risk of recurrent stroke and improve the outcome of the present stroke. Vertigo, dizziness can be very challenging. It can occur from a stroke or simply an inner ear vestibular problem. If a patient just has dizziness produced or exacerbated by head turning and no other neurological signs or symptoms of vestibular disorder is more likely. The Hall-Pike maneuver can distinguish vestibular vertigo from central vertigo, but the Ted-Tel nystagmus may not be seen. Patients however will often tell you on sitting up at the end of the maneuver that the dizziness felt is exactly the same as the symptoms they were having. The HINTS, or HINTS test for direction changing nystagmus and the skewed deviation cover-uncover the eye test can help distinguish a stroke from an inner ear disorder. Asking the patient to hyperventilate for 30 seconds can reveal hyperventilation vertigo, which is a very common disorder. Also, despite textbook teaching, vertigo and syncope can occur at the same time. So blood pressures and pulses taken at one and three minutes after standing can reveal orthostatic hypotension and also POTS or POTS syndrome, if just tachycardia is noted on standing. A cerebellar stroke can cause nausea and vomiting, double vision, dystagmus, and ipsilateral limitexia. A posterior cerebral artery stroke can cause thalamic syndrome with contralateral hemisensory distribution involvement aphasia, and homominous hematianopsia. Vertebral artery strokes can cause Wallenberg syndrome with numbness of the ipsilateral face and contralateral limbs, diplopia, dysarthria, and ipsilateral Horner syndrome. Basilar artery strokes cause pinpoint pupils, quadriplegia, sensory loss, cranial nerve abnormalities, and cerebellar dysfunction. An MRI of the brain is often necessary to distinguish a stroke from a vestibular disorder with 100% certainty. The physical examination, a neurologic exam, includes testing of mental status, cranial nerves, muscle strength, reflexes, including pathological reflexes such as the Babinski sign and the sensory exam also. Useful tests to me on the physical exam, besides the basic neurologic exam, include the swinging flashlight test to check the efferent nerves, the Hoffman's maneuver to find cervical spine problems, checking for ankle clonus, which can reveal cervical, thoracic, or lumbar spinal stenosis, looking for cogwheeling in Parkinson's disease. We distinguish cogwheeling from gigant which is just stiffness, more likely from dementia than Parkinson's disease. Drift adrift with the arms extended to the front with the palms up is useful to detecting subtle, subtle arm weakness. Looking for Horner's syndrome with ptosis, endophthalmos, meiosis, and anhydrosis suggests a Pankos tumor of the lung, but also 20 other reasons including autonomic dysfunction. See Wikipedia for the other 18 reasons. Noting that a pupil does not react to light does react to accommodation looking near and far is syphilis until proven otherwise. The AdSense maneuver looking for thoracic outlet syndrome is important. The Phalens and Tinel test looking for carpal tunnel syndrome can help. Flicking the ulnar nerve at the elbow can produce an ulnar nerve entrapment pain. I check for peripheral neuropathy by comparing the vibratory sense of the foot to the vibratory sense of the wrist. I checked the vibratory sense of the medial, dorsal, and lateral foot to pick up L4, L5 and S1 radiculopathy, but the dorsal foot decrease could be from the perineal nerve instead of L5, and the medial foot decrease may not be from an L4 radiculopathy if there is Tarsal Tunnel Syndrome. Prevention. Remember, strokes are not uncommon, and like most vascular events, occur suddenly. You could feel wonderful one day and have a life-changing stroke the next day. Prevent strokes by controlling your blood pressure to less than 130 over 80 if you're under 80 years old, and that's the new worldwide consensus to prevent strokes. Control your blood sugar if you're diabetic. Control your cholesterol with a statin drug if necessary. Get at least one and a half hours of aerobic exercise weekly or walk 8,000 steps a day according to the Harvard Health Letter. Recent articles suggest vegetarians have fewer strokes, but I believe you can control your cholesterol with one statin pill a day and eat a Mediterranean diet and achieve the same results. Another study shows that even moderate drinking of alcohol increases your risk of strokes and contributes to 8% of all ischemic strokes and 16% of all hemorrhagic strokes. Also, it has been shown that getting a flu shot can prevent strokes and heart attacks and carotid dissection over the next several months after the shot. Do not let your chiropractor do rapid acceleration twists of your neck, as vertebral artery strokes, though rare, can occur after this maneuver. Don't ignore a transient ischemic attack, approximately 40% of stroke victims remember a TIA prior to the stroke. A TIA is a transient neurological defect resulting from focal brain or spinal cord or retinal ischemic events without infarction. They usually last less than an hour, but may occasionally last 24 hours. The risk of a subsequent stroke 90 days after TIA approaches 10%, but 5% of patients will get a stroke within 48 hours of a TIA. The ABCD risk score helps predict who might get a stroke after a TIA. It includes age over 60, blood pressure greater than 140 over 90, clinical presentation with focal weakness or speech problems, duration of symptoms, and if the patient has diabetes. Note that a patient with amaurosis fugax, which is a sudden transient monocular blindness, needs carotid ultrasounds as soon as possible. A fundoscopic exam may reveal the Hollenhorst Horse plaque, in an arterial of the retina. Atrial fibrillation is the most common cause of ischemic strokes in patients over 85. Cardioembolic stroke is suspect if a patient shows a pattern of multiple cerebral infarcts. Fall risk is now not felt to be a contraindication to anticoagulation. Remember that 40 percent of dementia is vascular dementia and not Alzheimer's disease, so Preventing small and large strokes can only keep you out of a wheelchair, but also keep you from losing your mind. COVID-19. 50%, 7%, 57% of COVID patients are showing a wide variety of neurological disorders, such as altered consciousness, seizures, hyperkinetic movements, strokes, especially in the distribution of the posterior circulation vertebral artery dissection, headaches, dizziness, encephalitis, Guillain-Barre syndrome, optic neuritis, and loss of taste and smell. Lastly, cerebral autosomal dominant arteriopathy with subportical infarcts and leukoencephalopathy is the most common cause of inherited stroke and vascular cognitive impairment in adults. A skin biopsy with electron microscopy will reveal the presence of osmophilic matter in the smooth muscle. See Mayo Clinic Proceedings, June 2019. I hope this discussion has been helpful. In Neurology Part 2, I will discuss other non-uncommon neurological disorders, some of which can mimic a stroke.